So, uh, this is uh, Kevin Evans with Crossroads Assembly of God at Greenville, and this is the chapter-by-chapter -chapter life class. And uh, we are finishing up the Gospel of John, and last week we ended on John 1937, and we covered the death of Christ and uh, all the, the wonderful details of Roman crucifixion. And uh, then we got all chatty, and we never got past verse 37. So we're going to finish up uh, verse, uh, chapter 19, and then with luck, we're going to uh, study chapter 20 today. So without further ado, uh, verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Which is the end of chapter 20. Oh, 19. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in all four Gospels. And he is mentioned in this one place where he takes the body of Christ and buries him. And then we never hear about Joseph of Arimathea again in Scripture. And so it's assumed by all the Gospel writers that everybody knows, the way they're mentioning, that knows who he is. So we assume that when the Gospels were written, he was a known entity in the Christian church. He was a believer, and John says he's a believer. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in, uh, of Pharisees in Jerusalem. And uh, so one of the big shots that are voting to kill Jesus, and he is a follower of Jesus. So Jesus had friends even on the council, but Joseph made a point of not being there for the vote because... He, he, yes, and he may well have ended up being charged himself. Uh, there was kind of a totalitarian uh, function here with the uh, Sanhedrin. Anyway, um, but he was wealthy, right? we assume so because they put him into an open tomb. Now, Scripture, John, does not specifically say it was Joseph's tomb, but I think we have to assume that. Uh, and so if Joseph had a fresh family crypt just dug out, then that costs some money, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin, so we can make a fair assumption that he was a wealthy man, or at least wealthy enough to be putting down roots in Jerusalem with placing a family tomb. We also know he was not from Jerusalem. He was from Arimathea. So, Mr. Theologian, where's Arimathea? Nobody knows. The best guess, it's somewhere down in Judea, which is two-thirds of Israel, you know. Uh, they don't know. 
And so we know he's from out of town. They might as well say, might as well say Joseph from out of town. You know, uh, We don't really have too much. Now, that's what the Bible tells us. That is what we absolutely know. Now, we can spend the next two hours, and Kenny is already grinning over there because he knows where I'm going with this, over all the things that we don't really know about Joseph, but that have been supposed by Christianity almost starting at the very beginning. There are assumptions made in Christendom about Joseph of Arimathea. The most, most probable one is that he was Jesus's relative, that he was probably Mary's uncle, which is how the Catholic Church defines him. Uh, because he claimed the body without any issue. And according to Roman law, uh, a prisoner is going to hang as a warning to others until he deteriorates, unless his, he, he, they get official requests by the family to bury him, and then the Romans would uh, allow that request. But you, it had to be the elder, it meant the male elder in that family, Mary could not go claim his body. We assume that Joseph was passed away, so it was whoever the male patriarch of Jesus' family was. And here we have this Sanhedrin who would you would think would want to stay as far away from this as possible, uh, taking care of a what seems like a duty. What if, what if the fact is, what if he wasn't family, he was just stepping in to pretend to be family just so he could do this for Mary and everything because he was a close friend, because he was a disciple of Christ. He wasn't a family member, he was just a disciple. And they didn't really question whether he was family or not. He just came. And also his wealth probably had something to do with the fact that he could claim this body. Plus you gotta look at, they had to get it done before sunset. Okay, I will accept that answer and it is possible. Okay, I'm not saying you're wrong. Right. I think a more likely issue is that he was a family a relative, and as a relative, he would not be charged by the Sanhedrin as going against their wishes by burying a criminal that they condemned. It is his responsibility as a, as a, as a, uh, a relative to bury him. And so he would be failing his responsibilities as a Pharisee, and I don't think he's going to get any condemnation from the Sanhedrin for doing that. In fact, they would expect him to. What about Nicodemus? He was involved in the, in the burial, too, and he was part of that group, too. So Fair. Did he get any condemnation? Oh. And he wasn't a family member? Oh. So, so. But Joseph was the one in charge, though. He, was, he could have been a family. Nicodemus was going on help. Yeah. Um... Okay, as far as Joseph of Arimathea goes, do we want to do all the myth? We've done this before. Okay, Here, here's everything that's not true about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a tin merchant. And as a tin merchant, he traveled widely. And when Christ was a child, according to the English church in uh, Cornwall, uh, as a child, Christ traveled with Joseph of Arimathea, the tin merchant, his uncle, and they came all the way to Cornwall, where Christ blessed a bush, I think that's right. And, uh, and then later, after Christ died, Joseph of Arimathea, as a missionary of Christendom, came back to Cornwall and started churches there. Now, 
all of that is old English church mythology that was probably designed to sell indulgences and it had to do with all of the, the, the things that happened during the Middle Ages that kind of got off center with the church. Um, and if you, as an English teacher, I used to teach uh, the, the Arthurian legend in all kinds of different forms. And I read, I read the Morte de Arthur, and I'm a bit of a geek. So I, I, I kind of got into all of that. And so Joseph Farimathea shows up a lot as kind of the foundation of the Arthurian myth. Uh, there is still a, a uh, bush, a thorn bush in Cornwall that is considered to be... Uh, it, it, the, the bush that uh, it was the staff of Joseph of Arimathea. He stuck the staff and it rooted as part of his miracle when they made him a saint or whatever. And uh, people still make pilgrimage to see the bush. Okay, there's all of the nonsense that goes with Jeremy, Joseph of Arimathea. What we know is that he was a rich guy and that he uh, and that he buried Christ in a new tomb. And probably it was his tomb and the way the tombs work is that there was, there was, they dug it into the wall, so it wasn't just a natural cave. There was somebody that had to do a whole lot of work with a pickaxe to make that happen. And then they would uh, chip out a, uh, a, a long bench to lay the body on, and there would be enough room for another bench for somebody to sit on it to tend the body. And then there would have been storage in the back, a little bit of storage, probably not as much as the bench. And after a year... Uh, someone would go into that tomb and gather the remains of the body. Nothing was preserved. At that point, it would have been bones, more or less. And the bones were placed in what's called an usury. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, and, which is a big box. And then their name was put in the box, and then the box was stuffed in the corner, and then you had room to lay the next guy. And if you go to Jerusalem now and, and, and go into any of those old crypts, many of them are open, there will be entire, you can trace entire families by the usuries that are in the back, and they go back thousands of years. You know, it, it's basically, a, there are big areas that are nothing but boxes of bones. I mean, it's a very old place. So, uh, anthropologists dream. Yes. <laughs> In fact, there has been all kinds of interesting conspiracy theories to come out of that because they found one crypt that had a Jesus and a Mary and a Joseph and a number of interesting Christian names in it. And so, you know, books were written saying that, you know, Christianity is a hoax because this is where we bury Christ and this is his mother Mary and blah, 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 blah. But, there, but it wasn't that uncommon of a name. It was just happened to be a coincidence. Every Tom, Dick, and Harriet. Yes, something like that. Okay, uh, so that's Joseph Arimathea. Uh, he got Pilate's permission, and what did I miss? Oh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up with myrrh and aloes for an army. 75 pounds? Well, my book is the one that God wrote. Okay. Uh, NLT says about 75 pounds. I think it depends on how you translate the old Aramaic recording of the measurement. Mine has Oh, so it must be. So it's America. It's got to be all right. Mine says 100 pounds. Fine. Well, 100 pounds then. Okay. There's a lot. I'm, you know, I... 
how much could Christ weigh? This is at least half his weight in, 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 in spices. This is way more than you need to preserve a body, uh, particularly a prisoner. Uh, they could carry that in a pouch. This needs a wagon. Um, this is enough for a king. Oh, wait. You get that? Yeah, okay. But I think that becomes important in a minute when we get into verse 20, chapter 20, because when we start looking at the grave clothes, you need to remember that he was wrapped in at least two layers of cloth and wrapped kind of like a mummy. But then 75 pounds of myrrh and oil are poured over him. And this, once it dries, and I don't know if it's dry in three days, but uh, once it's dried, it's going to make it rigid. It's going to be crusty. It's going to be, that's how they mummify them. You know, there wasn't any, uh, uh, um, yeah, but Jesus they didn't adjust the body, but they would pour all this kind of a casing over it. that They sealed the body. Yeah, but Jesus rose and that, none of that mattered. Because it, well, it was kind of the supernatural, it was God's. Power. I mean, we're we're, we're going to get there in a minute, and I, I think it becomes important what what the, what what the grave clothes exactly looked like. And I've heard at least two or three different interpretations of that, and, and I frankly don't know which one is correct. You know, okay. So so Nicodemus shows up with a whole bunch of spices, and they stuffed him in this tomb. They were in a hurry, and. They beat it out of there before the sun went down because they were good Jews that had to have all the work finished before the day started. Hit me, Chris. Okay, you said that they poured that stuff all over Jesus' body. Right? Yes. Okay. So, you know how somewhere it says that Jesus folded up his clothes? We're going to get there. That's this chapter. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's trying to get ahead of me. Well, my Bible talks about that too. I'll, re I'll read it in a minute. When we okay, okay. All right, so next section, uh, we're in chapter 20, and uh, Bill's already got his. Here is my notes. You may distribute those accordingly. Uh, we're going to look at chapters, uh, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 20. Uh, early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and the, the one, you know, Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And Peter said, What? So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you think he was bragging there just a little? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Huh. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise 
from the dead. So John is admitting that he still had not got it at this point. It is strange that Mary Magdalene was the, was the one that went instead of Mary, his mother. And it's, um, funny, and it's funny how John doesn't mention the other women that went there with her. Um, he only mentions her. Why do you think that is? Had a crush on her. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I know she was the prostitute that he cast the demons out of. Um, all right, Bill. If I were writing the screenplay for this movie, and I wanted to make sense of all of that. I would say that the upper room where all the disciples were gathering after the crucifixion, after Passover, because they're still, I'm assuming, in the same room, uh, is fairly close to where this uh, tomb is. And I would say that Mary, as a devoted follower of Christ, was mourning and was not going to the tomb necessarily to embalm the body, as is often said, I think she went because she was mourning and she went out to cry over the grave, as we have all done at one point or another. Uh, and that's when she discovered that the stone was rolled back and the, and the body is gone. She's not thinking that he's been, uh, he's ascended. He, he, she's thinking the body is stolen. Right. And so she goes and tells Peter and John, and, and this is a, sh a short run. This, is, this isn't a long, you know, marathon. This is fa they're fairly close. They're a few blocks away. And so, and so she tells uh, Peter and John, and Peter and John run there. And then I think later you have the three women that come to, well, no, it wouldn't because the body would be gone. Right. My that just blew that whole layout. Wow. Because if you remember in the other, other Gospels. Back again, back. You know, well, yes, I can write the screenplay. I'll figure it out. But if, uh, but if you remember in the other Gospels, it said the three women. Yes, it does. John does not mention the other two women. Uh, Luke does, I think, because he likes details. Um, and, and it may be if they were going to finish the body off, but, they, but none of them would have, it, most people speculate that they would not have been able to move the stone. So that were they just and he also banking and somebody opening the stone for them? Or? He also didn't mention the Roman soldiers. No. He also he didn't, didn't mention the angels that freaked out the soldiers and they fainted. We've already discuss the fact that John is not giving us every last little detail and, and the detail is about off, his point. Talk to the police officer over 10 people who witnessed yes. the same. You're going to hear 10 different stories. Yes. The in one, fact, the in one fact, thing we hurt ourselves with this gospel, everybody expects every gospel is supposed to what's the purpose of four different gospels if they say the same thing over and over? Again? Yeah, what he said. <laughs> I, I, just, I mean, just for some for whatever reason he just focused confirmation. What? I guess, yeah, confirmation. Or emphasis. But it doesn't contradict, it's just a different version. I might tell, I might leave here, you know, I'll go home to Faith and she'll ask me about the class, and I go, well, I'll talk. I may not mention Lee or Jesse, but then Andrew, if he came, he might have mentioned Lee and Jesse. It's a different perspective. It's different, pers it's, it's different perspective. It, it, it doesn't contradict it. You can't say, well, it didn't happen because he didn't mention it. It's just. In fact, the reverse is also true. And when police interviews uh, witnesses and they all give exactly the same story, that's usually evidence of collusion. 
set were yeah, the same. Right, right. They, they, they planned what the story was. And so, because nobody ever gives exactly the same story. In marriage counseling, they bring the argument before me, and it's like they're two different, from two different worlds, the same argument, you know, this happened, and they like to go, well, no, it was like this, like this, no, it was like this, like this. And it's like, were you guys even there together? It's like, the persp- you know, the wife is saying, no, he did this, and the husband said, well, no, this happened like this, and I'm going, were you guys there? Because it's like, it's very <laughs> common. It, it makes no, their two stories don't add up, and they were all there together. That would never happen in my marriage. We're completely compatible. <laughs> Not according to my assessment. <laughs> or hers. <laughs> I'm stirring up trouble at her expense. Okay, where where was I? Okay, right, right, right. So, um, so the, uh, Peter and John run to the tomb because they're panicking because somebody just stole the body, which is what they're thinking. John outruns Peter. Now, a lot's been made of that. I think the general consensus is that Peter is almost certainly the oldest of the apostles, and John was almost certainly the youngest of the apostles, and there could easily have been 20 years between the two of them. Uh, who's going to run the win the foot race? The 20-something guy or the 40-something guy? here's the amazing thing. Why did he go into so tomb? Peter did. He, yep. got, he got there first, but wouldn't go in, and Peter went in. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. Well, I, I do not have an adequate explanation for that. The best explanation I've read is that uh, if you entered a tomb, it, 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 if you touched a dead body, it defiles. It, it defiles you, and it makes you ceremonially unclean for a week, and you can't go to synagogue, and it's a big deal with Jews, and so they don't want to touch a dead body uh, unless you have to. And so, you know... The, the guy that deals with the usury doesn't have to go to temple that week, you know. Uh, and so uh, the, he paused. It could also be that he's showing uh, deference to his elder. And uh, Peter, being the eldest, would have been the one to make the decision he's following Peter. And uh, that could also easily be the case, too. Third one? Yeah, it you know, some people don't, that creeps them out a little bit. Only a counselor would come up with that point. Okay, <laughs> sure. No, I mean. All right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Some people, some people don't even like going to funerals because of the creepiness yeah. of it. So John gets there first and looks in <laughs> and stops, and then Peter goes in. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Peter, Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Okay, interpretation number one. I've heard it preached on several occasions that when you finish a meal in Asian society, and actually in American society as well, uh, and you want to indicate to the waiter that you are finished, 
you take your, your, your uh, napkin, wipe your mouth, and you put it and wad it up in the middle of the plate. And that means I'm done with this now. You can take it away, and now I want dessert. That's what that means. That's more of an Asian thing, too, actually. Um, anyway, uh, and if you are come, if you're going to the bathroom and you're not finished with your enchilada, then what you do is you... you uh, I say watch my plate. Yeah, there's that helps too. <laughs> and, uh, you, you fold your napkin and put it to the left according to Asian uh, custom. And that means you're coming back. Don't mess with my dinner, you know. Uh, in fact, you could also take your knife and your fork in Western culture and do an X across your meal. Have you ever done that one before? Okay, that's a, that's a universal message to the waiter. Don't mess with this. And so waiters are tuned into that, people that do this for a living, so they, they can tell if you're gone or not. I don't get up and leave my food because, or drink because I'm afraid somebody's going to mess with me. You are so special. Anyway. Uh, no, I remember my dad from years ago telling me about his cousin that someone slipped something in her drink and she said to spend the rest of her life in a mental institution. I remember that my whole where, life. Where does this stuff come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. We have a counselor right here in class. You need to talk to him. Get one of my cards. Yeah, give Bill a card. Oh my goodness. Okay, so so that's the the first explanation. Christ is giving the message that he is finished, that it's done, that he's oh oh, oh it, it, and the head thing is folded supposedly. We maybe that's what that means. And if it's folded, it means I'm coming back. Christ is going to return. Yes. Uh, so which makes for a nice sermon. But I'm not sure that's what that means. And the second interpretation, which came from, uh, I stole it. Where'd it go? Oh, I didn't have my reference. I'm sorry. Tenon, something like that. Uh, they, say, so they suggest that the uh, grave clothes are laid out. They've been there for uh, three days or whatever that combination is. And it's had 75 pounds of oil and uh, 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 myrrh poured over it, which is a powder. I'm assuming that this is crusty. And, uh, and it looks like the body has dissolved. There's no body there. There's just the clothes. Christ is absent from his body, like all of those paintings we've seen of the rapture. And so they come in and they see, you know, mummy leftovers. And the, uh, the head wrapping is separate from the body, but it would have been wrapped that way. And the head wrapping is, is, is where it would be, where the head would have been laid. And so they're seeing Christ gone. And also, you don't just take off grave clothes. They have to be cut off. There's no neat way to unwrap a mummy. Unless you're Jesus. Unless the body has disappeared. Uh, you know, he's got 75 pounds of myrrh and oil on him here, too. I, I think that's significant. And, and as a result, I, I, think, I think just that the way the body isn't, the way the grave clothes appear, tells us something about what happened to the body. Don't you think angels might have helped 
to get him out of those clothes, possibly? You know, we don't know that, but I mean, that's whatever form the miracle took, I, I, I maybe the angels to do it. I mean, it's just, it's it, the, the fact, the important fact is it happened. Yes. We don't know how. If, if, it, if it was important to know how it happened, he would have told us. And in fact, he probably disappeared out of those grave clothes shortly after they rolled the tomb around because it said he was three days in the belly of the earth. Setting the captives free. Because of the tradition that he was in hell? Tradition? Well, I don't know about tradition. That's what the word of God says. Fair. What does it say hell? What does it say which hell? It says he was in the belly of the earth for three days. Kind of like Jonah. Jonah was a prophecy of three days in the belly of the whale. And Jesus was three days in the belly of the earth. Okay. So evidently, he shortly after that stone was rolled away, he went... He, he vanished. To, I mean, he, I hesitate to chase this rabbit considering the entire time we have. But uh, what do you think of the Shroud of Turin? Clayton thinks it's bogus. I do too. You think it's bogus? I find it interesting. Well, it may be interesting, and but the Shroud of Turin. Oh, I mean, it just if you put your faith in it, you're putting your faith in the wrong thing. The more you, well, I'm not putting my faith in. Well, people get very. I think it might be an actual relic of pride. It's like, well, we got to make this true to prove Jesus. Here's a little bit different. What about the crown of thorns in the Vatican in Paris or France or whatever? Oh, during the fire of the church of the cathedral. That is also just as much as probably important as the crown of thorns due to the fact that the actual blood of Jesus Christ is on the thorns. If that's there's no way to know because there's no way to get DNA. No, you know, my faith is not based on the shroud of belief. No, it's not. No, it's not. Nor should it be. And I know. And I think that's why. It was, I don't think God wants us to to venerate things. We want to venerate Him. And I, I you know, if I, if I get, like I said, if I get to heaven and I'm at that front gate and Peter's letting everybody in, he says, Clay, if the shroud of tour was real, okay, I was wrong. About yeah, that. I'm still getting in. But chasing this rabbit, I've read at least two books on the Shroud of Turin and really tried to approach it with an open mind. And honestly, I never saw anything that disproved it or proved it. I, I watched. It's a uh, deep rabbit hole to dig here before you what dig. What does YouTube say? Uh, I watched, uh, like, when History Channel was actually the History Channel, yeah. um, I watched like a four hour long documentary on the Shroud of Turin. They use the late. It's like early 2000s, they use the latest imagery to get the thir uh, 3D image out of it because of the and stuff, and they talk about all the stuff. And I walked away with it like, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. But, but, but that's, yeah, but, you know. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that because that's pretty much where I'm to. All right, verse 10. I think we've got time for the next section at least. Uh, we're going to look at verse 10 through 18. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John and Peter left. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Huh. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. 
she will. Jesus said to her, Mary. She then turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said, uh, and she told them that he had said these things to her. To her. I think it's interesting when he said, don't touch me yet yeah. because I'm not ascending. Yes. There are several interesting things here. First of all, I think it's interesting that Mary came to the tomb first and then ran back and said, hey, hey, the body's gone. And then they come and look and they go home. And then she, the same woman runs in and goes, hey, hey, I just saw Jesus. And also it's strange. Either they're not being very diligent or, or she's in the right place at the right time. Well, what's strange is they were both in the tomb. And now as soon as they left, then the angels showed up in the tomb for Mary to see the angels and for the angels to speak to her. Don't you think that's a little bit, I mean, why didn't the angels show up when John and, and Peter were in there so they could understand, have a little bit better understanding? I just, oh. I just think that it's kind of strange. I mean, not strange, but I think it's kind of unique how that Mary was kind of like the key spokesman. It's like Jesus or God or somebody chose Mary Magdalene to be she's the kind of the witness here, isn't she? Yeah, she's the key, key to all of Or she was an, an official here, member of the disciples. One at the head and one at the foot, which is similar to the mercy seat uh, that holds the Ark of the Covenant. It's, there's a cherubim at the head and the foot of the Ark of the Covenant. I saw that connection several times when I was studying. Uh, woman, why are you crying? And she didn't recognize him. Why didn't she recognize him? She's been traveling with him for three years. Because Jesus didn't allow her to recognize him until he was ready for her to recognize him. And I think that that's the key. When he said Mary, that's when he was... Did Christ that's, hides himself from us? No, but I think in this we instance... Think so? Why would Christ hide from us? With two people, once he rose, he walked with two people. And they didn't know that it was Christ until after he left. Okay, new guy. Oh, you have to shout right now. Doesn't get recorded for your own benefit. For your own benefit? He's going to hide the truth from me for my own benefit? Because if you know, then everybody will flock to him like crazy and he'll be overwhelmed. And how can he help anyone if everyone's around him trying to, you know, get him to do something or help them in some way when he's. You know, it's not ready. Maybe I don't know. For whatever what purpose he said, I'm hiding. And I'm not being this disrespectfully, but we do that too. Kind of like, okay, and then it's, and it, it's. I hate to say, but maybe it's for dramatic effect for a sermon or something. Hey, hey, here I am. I respect that all of those are very logical explanations, but I just don't want Jesse. to write my movie this way. Jesse, <laughs> Jesse's trying to speak to you. What? Jesse's trying, Jesse's trying to speak. Okay, Jesse. Give her the microphone. I was just going to say, maybe there was something he was trying to teach her in that moment. Like she could be the witness? Um, maybe. Like girls are okay too? Maybe. Like girls are okay too. Well, you know, I mean, the big controversial thing is that Mary Magdalene probably traveled with them. It was kind of like the female disciple. Yes. And that got squashed by the early church because, you know, they how, how can a woman be part of that? That's women are worthy. Women were treated really disrespectful yeah, back in this day. I mean, the ultimate, the, the 
legend had it that Mary Magdalene was a disciple like the others and went to other countries to, on a uh, missionary journey and things like that, but the church didn't like talking about that. Um, so she doesn't recognize him until Christ calls her name. He doesn't say, I am Jesus. He says, he tells her who she is. And don't you think that's Isn't that he, interesting? I think there's a sermon in there somewhere. He opened her he opened her blinded eyes when he spoke her name. Yeah. It's like her blind the blinders were taken off her eyes and she all of a sudden So Christ tells us who we are. Maybe and that connects us. You're catching me. Maybe it looks different but sounds heard, the same. What what? Maybe it looks different but sounds the same. That's a fair assessment. I don't, I've never thought of that. Um, why would he look different? But he's solid. Here it is. She touches him. She touches him. She, he, he, I want he basically says, "Let go." I want here. this on tape so my wife can listen to this. Okay. Say okay. This. I knew my wife for three years before we get got married, but when those back doors opened up during the wedding ceremony, and I saw her for the first time, and her beautiful self in that wedding dress, she looked different than she'd ever looked before. She was even more angelic than she'd ever been. I love you. Wow. <laughs> well, so now four people are listening to this. Four, uh, four listeners. Uh, basically, basically now, now Mary didn't actually touch him. I think she reached out to touch him, and that's when he stopped her and said, don't touch me. Do not hold on to me. No, that's not what my scripture, my Bible says. Well, mine's the one that's right, and it says, do not hold on to me. I, I think she grabbed him, and he, he was solid. And he eats with people later, and and he 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 asked her, "Let me go. I got stuff to do." Now Jesus says unto her, "Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God." Okay, other people want to talk too here. Okay. Oh no. Um, you know, okay, Jesus, you know, had the glorified body. But then I don't think, I think he kept Mary blinded, you know, until he wanted her to realize it was Jesus because she wasn't going to think if it was a gardener in a glorified body. So yeah. she, he had to like just keep her blinded from who, who he is. Oh. So go ahead. Also, she could have been in so much grief. Remember also Jesus so. at the beginning told them, say, don't tell everybody what I've done yet because it's not my time yet. And don't recognize me yet because I'm wanting to. She couldn't see through the tears. I actually read that. She week. wanted and, and maybe he wanted her to really see the grief and the 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 emotions that she had before she revealed the truth to her. You know, because if she just went right on in there, hey Jesus, you know, you wouldn't have she wouldn't have. Yeah, she, she wouldn't have. Trauma has a way of affecting people in a weird way. Well, you know, it's just like, can you imagine how, how much it freaked out the people that saw their dead loved ones walk in the streets for so many days after Jesus? You know, Jesus went down in the belly of the earth and he set all those people free and they saw dead, dead saints walk, dead people that had died over the centuries walk in the streets of Jerusalem for so many days. That Jesus set free, you know. I think that would make make a difference. It's because they don't like me. They're, they're, they just, you know, they just. No, had Chris a, did a mic drop and 
Okay, we are going to cover, yes sir, thank you. We are going to cover five verses in seven minutes. Uh, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, so they're locked in the upper room, we assume. Jesus came and stood among them and says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So, they are, the disciples are huddled up in the upper room. They are staying together in Jerusalem. They have not left town. And they have the doors barred because, well, their rabbi just got crucified and they may very well be next. Uh, the Pharisees do not see them as uh, good people. So they're a little concerned. And Christ beams in like he's from Star Trek. Which is kind of a big deal. He doesn't walk in the door. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. John makes a point of saying that. Jesus came and stood among them. He just, just shows up. And they panic. And the first thing he says is, uh, peace with you. Just like when angels say, you know, uh, fear not. That's the first thing any angel ever says. There's a reason that's the first thing that they ever say. You know, he says, peace with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Because later we're going to have to talk about Thomas, and I think he gets a pretty bad rap. He showed Peter and John his hands and his side. Here's the proof. Yeah. They touched him. They saw it. They know it's him. No question. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they, you know, they... Uh, I think it's unique when he breathed, he said he breathed on... Or empowered by Christ. Yes? He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. I thought that was pretty unique when he told them to receive the Holy Spirit. So they already had the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. They were ready for the day of Pentecost. Yes. So. Um, 
that went a lot faster than I thought. Okay, 24. Let's see if we can finish this. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And they also been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put his finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. So this is a full week later. And Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So same Psalm, second verse. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out with your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to my Lord, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice that John does not record how Thomas said, I will not believe it unless I put my hand in his side too. That comes in the other synoptic gospels. And Thomas gets a bad rap because he supposedly, oh, I, 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 I made a list of the things, the names that people call him in commentaries. No, he Where is it? John, John does say that here. He says, Unreasonable, obstinate, prejudiced, presumptuous, and insolent. That's all what Thomas is because he would like to actually see it for himself. John did write in here. He said, except I shall see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So John did put that in there. Okay, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. That's okay. However... I think that John Thomas is saying, I need to see the same proof that Christ showed you. Because up here, he shows them that very thing. And I think that Christ has a personal relationship with each of us. And while I think that the, the testimony of others is important, my relationship with Christ is what gives me faith in Christ. It's not your testimony, although I find all of those to be fascinating and inspiring. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling between you and God. Yes, another verse heavily misinterpreted. Well, but I'm just saying, <laughs> and I know where you're going with that, but, yeah. but, but the way I go with that is Christ knows us uniquely. Yes. And what it, what it took for Lee to come to a faith in Jesus Christ might have been a different path that I took to come Christ knows everybody. It's not cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. Right. I mean, I I was my mom went into labor with me in church. I was there next Sunday. I've been ever since. There's other people who have a little bit more dramatic flair to their salvation. It's it's Christ knows what each person needs and presents puts it in front of them like that, and then it's up to us to decide if we want to or not. Yes. And you know, and we cannot deny somebody the importance or lack of importance of someone's testimony as to how their eyes were opened up to Christ. The Holy Spirit is very creative and very unique based on the individual. Some of us don't have as strong a faith as the others just yet in our walks. And maybe Thomas was at that place. He just didn't have the faith and the strength that the others had. I want to point out in my notes at the very bottom of verse 24 to 29 where it says, and then Bill said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because I knew you were going to come up with that argument. I knew it when I planned that. I, I could hear it in my head. Yeah, but, yeah, I can see but that. But isn't it strange that John kind of throws that out there at them, but that's what they yeah. did. That 
did the same thing for them, but Thomas is the doubter. Yeah, I, 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 like I, I said, think a, I think he gets a bad rap. I think rap. if that's the interpretation, John's being completely unfair. It may not be the interpretation. We may not have the correct. I don't know. He just reported what Thomas said. Thomas might have been saying what he was already thinking. Yeah. You know, because nobody condemned them because they didn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead when Mary told them. Uh, you, know? you know what? Lester's problems are my problems, so his is worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, my problems, let's not talk about them, but we're going to talk about Lester's problems. You know, I, I have friends that I used to keep around just because they were always more sad sack than me, and I felt better about my life after hanging out with them. <laughs> I keep those reprobates around. It makes me look holier. Yeah. That's why I hang out with Lester. Yeah. <laughs> well, None of that's anybody here, by the way. Uh, okay, last but not least, yeah, that was Al. After, uh, we're almost out of time, but I want to say this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So John is saying that he is not being all-conclusive and that there was a lot here, and he is only recording the things that are important to tell his story. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is John's theme of his book. And this is a summary of everything that John said. And so this, chap this paragraph is the concluding statement for John's gospel. This is where the four gospels end. And so next week we're going to look at chapter 21. And I'm going to explain why that's there. It's an epilogue. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Because this is the end of the story. This, this, this right here. And then we have this tack on on the end, which is uh, subject to all kinds of interesting things. Until chapter 22 comes out. Oh. By Brian Simmons. You know, the, 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 the Passion Translation guy? He said, God revealed him, but chapter 22 was Gospel John. So that comes out. Looking forward to reading that one. All right. With that, we are dismissed. Goodbye, Internet.